Uh, we are so excited that you chose to be here at Propel Church. And as Noah said earlier, uh, the only thing we'd love for you to do at some point during the worship experience today is take a second and fill out that connect card. It's just a way where we can connect with you and exchange some information. And as we go into uh, this morning's message, I'm not the only one who's excited you're here. Church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and we're, maybe you're here for the first time in a long time too. Welcome back, right? Kids are back in school and some of you parents are like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're ready. You were like, Lord, if you don't take my kids out of my house, I'm going to need you to take them. So we are excited uh, for what God is doing here today. We are in week four of a message series called Roadblocks. And in that message series, uh, we've been talking through the four steps of our vision here at Propel Church. And that is that we want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so on week one of this message series, we talked about knowing God. And the greatest roadblock that you and I will come up against is that in our efforts to know God, oftentimes we will end up working for something that can only be received. That's not how God works. God came to us, died in our place so that we could have new life in him. You don't have to work for it. It's a gift from God. In week two of this message series, we talked about the roadblocks that you and I would have in finding freedom and how oftentimes what happens in our life is that we want to find freedom. We want to become more like Christ, but we don't really like God's process, which is to have a place of confession and a place of prayer. Then last week, we talked about discovering purpose. And in doing that, we talked about how God has uniquely gifted you with a specific coat of armor and weapons. If you don't know how God wired you, you end up wearing somebody else's armor. And it's not what God intended for you. And this week, we're going to talk about some roadblocks that happen in making a difference. Because I believe that every single one of us have been hardwired, not just with the desire, but the capacity to make a difference. I think you wake up, and when you wake up, there's something in you that longs to know that your life isn't wasted, to know that it matters that you're here, to know that you can make an impact on the world, and I want to talk about some things that stand in our way of doing just that. So if you have a Bible, go with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. Today, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. We've been walking through the Old Testament throughout this entire message series because we believe that all of God's Word is applicable and life-giving and life-changing. So I want to pull some things out of the text today that help you and I uh, just see God more clearly. This is what it says in 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elijah and cried out, so, so if we read that too fast, you're like, I don't know, who, who is that? So here's what happened. Elijah was a prophet. Elijah empowered a group of prophets. He had some staff members that worked for him. And the wife of one of his staff members now comes to him. This is what it says. She says, my husband who served you is dead. And you know how much he feared the Lord. And fear is not the negative term that we have today. Fear is, is this respect. It's a reverence. It's an honor. He, he served the Lord faithfully is what she's saying. He said, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. Verse 2, Elijah said to her, what can I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is that making a difference begins with the recognition of your involvement in fulfilling a need. 
That's an incredibly long point. I normally try and keep them at less than five words. But I felt like you and I had to have a starting place for where we're at today. And a lot of times in our world, it's really easy for us to talk about the problems, right? We live in, in, in a culture with social media and all of these things that make it incredibly easy for us to just talk, 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 talk about all of the problems and never really get to a solution. And that's not how God wired, designed, or intended us. God created you and I with the ability to make a difference. He gave us the ability to, to do something about the problems we see. So the whole part of making a difference begins when you and I recognize God has called us to actually be a part of the solution in life. Because the truth is, you're either going to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution. There's no middle ground. So when we look at God, and we look at the people around us, and we look at all of the problems, I believe that God opens your eyes to see issues so that you can be a part of the solution. So like one of the needs in this community, or one of the needs in the communities around us, is homelessness. Now, Mount Pleasant doesn't have an incredibly large homeless population currently, but as the community grows, that number will increase. And here's what I know. It's a lot easier to judge how somebody got into the predicament they're in than to actually sit down and have a conversation. God didn't design you and I to just talk about other people. He designed us to get involved. So rather than sitting there critiquing how they got in that position, why don't you go buy them some food and and tell them about Jesus? There's other problems. There's problems all throughout our world. There's, there's actually kids, which is, this is going to sound crazy. Some of you may not even know this. There are kids every week in this community as well as others that don't have enough food at their house when they go home. Yeah. It's a problem that I, I found out about. I would never think that's an issue. Because if I found out a kid didn't have food, I just, would just go to the store. When I leave, I don't have to worry. You can see me. I'm not worrying about where my next meal is coming from. But there are kids that have that issue. God hasn't called us to just talk about the problem. He wants us to be involved in the solution. There's single moms, and many of you in here today are are single moms. And and I think there are so many things that that I could say about that. The first one would be, hey, if if you're a dad um, and you're going to do it, you need to stay when things get tough. Because here's the truth. What you do with your life communicates something about God. So here's how people, and you don't, I know we don't think our decisions really matter that much, but if you're a father who walks out on his children, if my earthly father can walk out on me, I bet my heavenly father can as well. Well, Your role matters. Second thing we need is we need godly men to step up for those who don't have fathers. God has hardwired this ability for, for younger men to look up to others. And if there's not a godly influence in their life, they'll find an influence. So we need men of God who serve in places like kids ministry and who are there for kids who don't have fathers in the home, who are willing to say, I may not have it all together, but I'm following God with my whole heart. And for single moms that are here today, I want you to know you've got a place here where we're not going to judge you for the condition that you're in or how you gotten into the situation. We, We love you and want you to know you have our full support in helping you in whatever ways we can. There's needs, but God has not called us to just talk about the problems. He's called us to be a part of the 
solution. And probably there, there are people who are stuck in drug addictions. And I know for so many people, it's a whole lot easier to talk about people who have addictions and to actually deal with the mess of helping them find redemption. That's my story. Like eight years ago, it'll be eight years. It, it was eight years on August 1st. No, it was seven. I don't math well, guys. I'll be, no, it was eight. It was eight. It was a number of years. <laughs> I, but had I not had people help me and pray for me and fight with me and fight for me, I wouldn't be on this stage today. I'd still be stuck. So you and I have to recognize that God's called us to be a part of the solution. The greatest need in our community is there are still lost people that don't know Jesus. And if we're not dead, God's not done using us. So recognize that there's a problem and then we step in to fulfill that need. We'll continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says this, and she said, because Elijah just asked her, well, go, go do an inventory of your house. So then it says, and she said, well, your woman's servant has nothing except a jar of oil. I think a lot of us, when we look at making a difference in our life, uh, we feel like because we have lack or we don't have something, then we can't actually make a difference. But making a difference begins with you and I actually taking an inventory of what we already have. Yeah. So biblical prosperity is actually all about stewardship. It's using what God has given you to advance the kingdom. Elijah didn't say, hey, what I want you to do first is go talk to all your neighbors. He's going to tell her to go talk to her neighbors. But he says, what do you have in your house? What are the things that God's blessed you with? What are the things that God has entrusted you with? Because it's those very things that God wants to use to make a difference in his kingdom. So he continues on. and So then she says, I just have a jar of oil. Then he said, go around and get all the jars from your neighbors. Get empty jars, many of them, and then go shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all these jars and set each aside, each one that is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her sons. They took the jars to her and she poured out. So Elijah's talking with her. What do you have? I've got some jars of oil. And he says, I want you to go get the empty jars. Notice he doesn't say, I want you to go find the ones that are half full. I don't want you to find the ones that are three quarters full. Go to your neighbors and just get some oil. He says, I want you to find the empty jars. If you're taking notes, second thing this morning, God will fill what is empty. God will fill what is empty. Since we're reading this passage of scripture and I'm thinking about it, I was thinking about, uh, I, was, I was really wondering, because I felt like the Lord directed me to teach you this passage of scripture on making a difference. And I'm like, God, I don't, I just, I don't get it. I'm not, I'm not tracking with you. But this is actually the greatest roadblock that you and I have, is that in our efforts to be used by God and to make a difference in his kingdom, we're not actually bringing God an empty jar. We're bringing him one that's already full of stuff. And so there's so much stuff that you and I fill our lives with, and, and you have a job, and that's great. I'm not saying you, you can't have a job, because so oftentimes the things that you and I fill our lives with are not wrong things. Our life's just full of stuff. And so for some of you, right, I'll take some rocks out of here. You've got, you got family, and so you got a spouse. And then some of y'all, y'all got a lot of kids, not because you like kids, because you like the stuff that makes it. And so you got... <laughs> You got like seven kids in one house. So 
you got a bunch of kids and then those kids have sporting events and then not only do your kids have sporting events, but they got friends and then you've got work and then you, those are all like not, not terrible things. And there's, there's Netflix somewhere in there because you got to watch The Office for the 11th time. And you got all this stuff. And then, but there's also some rocks in there like, you know, you've, you've got your bad habits and maybe a, a drug addiction. You've, you've probably got some anger buried down pretty deep down there. And your life is just filled with, with stuff. And so here's what happens. We go, God, I want you to, I want you to fill me up. I want, I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference. And so with our life already full, we come to God and go, okay, God, pour it out. And God goes, okay, you, you, you made some space for me and that's great. I'll, I'll pour out. God does. And so God has now poured himself out around all the stuff you got going on. And you're working, you're, you're doing your thing. You're, I don't know what your life is filled with, but what I do know is that the greatest roadblock to you making a difference is coming to God with a life that's already full. Because our life is filled with so much stuff. And they can be good things, but they may not be God things. So your life gets filled with stuff. This is what it says. We, we'll keep reading. It says, when the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another jar. And he said to her, there's not one jar left. And then look what happened. The oil stopped flowing. So the moment there was no longer an empty vessel, the oil quit. All throughout scripture, you and I see that oil is referred to as the Holy Spirit. And so over and over and over again, we see that throughout Scripture. I believe, you can read uh, Titus chapter 2, I think it's like verse 3, which talks about how God's desire is to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. So, so as we're looking at this thing, God desires to pour Himself out. I want you to show you the difference between a jar that's full versus an empty one. Because if you're taking notes, the second thing, or maybe the third, I can't keep track that I've got for you, is God pours out to the degree which we make room for him. Now, this is the difference. So I've shown you this water. I used gallons because I know some of y'all are skeptical. Y'all think he's not doing an illustration. He's a magician. He does illusions. So I used a gallon of water so that you could see it. When you come to God with a life that is full, the degree in which he can fill it is significantly different than when you first come to him empty. So what the reason why Elijah says, hey, I want you to bring me the empty jar is because the gap between mundane and miracle is an empty vessel. So many of us desire to see God move in our life. Right? We're asking God, God, I, I want to make a difference. I want to do something that really matters with my life. And what we do is we try and fit God into our jar. We've got all of this stuff. We've got all these rocks. We've got all these things going on. And it's like, God, if I can just get you to fit around all of my stuff, then, then maybe I'll make a difference. And God says, if you'd come to me first, empty. 
I'd fill you up. Because God pours out to the degree that we make room for him. And so I don't know what your life looks like, but I'll tell you, for me personally, maybe you're perfect and you don't have any issues in life, this is what my life looks like a lot of the times. Like, like I look at my life and I go, yo, it's filled with stuff. In fact, my life gets to looking like this so often that every three months I go away for a couple days so that I can get empty and allow God to fill me. I spent time in Asheville this week. I spent three days in the mountains just spending time with Jesus, and, and it was incredible. I, I got to hang out with some friends who poured into my life and spoke truth, and it was amazing. But, but this is my tendency is to fill it. And I, I promise you, I fill my life with pretty good stuff. But my life is still full, and then I ask God to fit around it. And that's not how God wants it to be. This is what Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says. It says to seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Did you get, seek first the kingdom. Come to God empty. You really want to make a difference? Come to God empty. Which doesn't mean, and some of y'all are like, how do, I, how do I dump the rocks out? You just ask God to give you a new start. Because you're never going to figure it out. You're never going to figure out how to get every rock out and then go, okay, God, do something. He goes, oh, no, I, when I saved you, I gave you the ability to become a new creation. Most of us just try and carry the old canvas with us at the same time. It doesn't work. Allow God to give you a fresh start. Say, God, I'm going to seek you first. Seek you first. Do I need to worry about my wife? Yes, but if I don't worry about God first, then I'll never be able to love my wife well. Do, I, do, you, do you need to be concerned about your kids? Absolutely. Here's what you need to know. God loves your kids more than you ever could. Amen. Do you need to be worried about your work? Probably. You should pay your bills. However, we serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And if you're your provider, you'll always struggle. But when you trust in a God whose bank account is bigger than one you've ever seen, you'll be able to see him move in ways like never before. Good. You come to God empty. And he begins to fill you up. So I don't know what your life looks like, but I know that this is God's desire, that we would seek him first in everything. And I believe that this is the difference between you and I living our lives, not making a difference and making a difference. Because what God is looking for is an empty vessel. Because God says, if you'll give me an empty vessel, I'll pour out my spirit, Ephesians 3.20, and do things that you could never ask, think, or imagine. The greatest need that we have in our world today is for God's spirit to be poured out on his people. Because when God's spirit is in you moving and working, you and I, and nothing is impossible. And you come to God empty, and here's the thing. You're not just getting rid of your rocks because there's nothing wrong with your marriage. You need to, I believe God wants you to be married and stay married. I'm not telling you to leave your spouse, okay? You'd be like, Pastor told me to leave. He didn't. Because he clarified, and it's on video. (laughs) But when you begin to start adding rocks back in, this is what people don't understand about ministry. So so, uh, I was reading some stats the other day. Um, 8% of people who get into ministry in their 20s make it to their 50s. 8%. 8 
And here's, here's why. Because a lot of people just do a whole lot of pouring out and they don't understand how God designed ministry. So, so I'm going to show you. Here's, here's how God intended it. Because ministry, ministry is not just working vocationally for a church. You have a ministry wherever God's placed you. Because what a lot of Christians do is we turn the Great Commission, which is to go make disciples of all nations, into a great suggestion that we think is just for pastors and leaders. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. The Great Commission is that you and I would go make disciples of all nations. That's for every single follower of Jesus. Right. So we come to God empty, and then what begins to happen is we add the rocks back into our life, and ministry now happens out of the overflow of our relationship with God, that what people get from us is the excess of God pouring out of us. That's how God designed it. And maybe the reason why you feel empty is because you weren't filled up with the right stuff to begin with. Because ministry's never intended to be something you just pour out, but something that David says, my cup runneth, King James Version, it runneth over. That's God's desire for your life. That you would be overrunning with joy, overrunning with purpose, overrunning with fulfillment, so that you can make a difference in the world. The church in America, um, I believe, doesn't have a harvest problem. It has a labor problem. So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He says, in, in other words, I don't think God's like waiting in heaven going, I, I just can't figure out how to get him to meet Jesus. I just don't know how it's going to work. He's, he, Jesus already died in their place. He's saying, I, I just don't have enough willing people who are ready to carry that message to the ends of the earth because they don't understand that they can really make a difference. Yeah. And I want you to hear me say this. Whether you've been saved for one day or a hundred years, God can use you. It's not a master's degree program. It's not any specific schooling that you have to go to in order to be used by God. The qualification that we see in Scripture for people to be used by God is that they have His Spirit. And when you have His Spirit, all things are possible. So the church in America, what we need is people who are willing to serve, who are willing to labor, who are willing to advance the gospel until every single person meets Jesus. Because God wants to pour his spirit out on those who make room for him. But as I'm, I'm going to wrap up, got a couple minutes left. And so I was thinking about John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is like literally my favorite passage of scripture. Um, because there's just so much like good gospel content. I know what you're thinking. My team's laughing because every Sunday I go, that's my favorite passage of scripture. I like the Bible. Sue me. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I love John chapter 4. I could teach on John chapter 4 for at least the next 42 minutes, you know, unscripted. So, uh, but John chapter 4, you see Jesus, who is willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of one person. What Scripture shows us is that Jesus was on the way to Galilee, but Scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. He did not. Geographically, if you looked at the maps and the roads and the ways that it worked, there's no reason why Jesus had to, except that he had to because he was being obedient to do the will of the Father. So he knew that there was a divine appointment waiting for him in Samaria, so he would go where no one else was willing to go because he was an empty vessel ready to be used by God. So Jesus walks into the town of Samaria, and he sits down at the well. Scripture says he was exhausted from his walk. He wants water, but he doesn't have a bucket. 
which the woman at the well is going to point out in a few minutes. So she walks up. She's coming at the hottest part of the day to draw water. And the reason why she's there is because she doesn't want to talk to anybody. She, she doesn't want to encounter anybody. But I think it's in, when you least expect to encounter God that he shows up right where you need him. So he, she sits down by the well. Jesus says, hey, will you get me some water? He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. They don't associate with one another. She's flabbergasted. She says, I can't believe. Why, why, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? Jesus responds with, girl, if you knew the gift of God and what he had for you, you'd, you'd not just ask me if I had a rope or a bucket. You'd ask me for living water and I'd give it. Jesus continues the conversation on to her. What he's offering her is to be filled up with the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that quenches longing and quenches desires. He goes into the next part of the conversation to tell her she's been trifling. She's like, you got five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she says, sir, are you a prophet? <laughs> right? She was like, oh, no. He said, you filled your life up with so much stuff. God has this great gift for you. And if you wouldn't fill your life up with stuff and you'd let God fill your life up, uh, those longings and those desires would be alleviated. So there's a lot of us that have a bunch of sin issues and it's because we're trying to fit God around our sin issue rather than letting God overcome the sin issue that we have. So then they have the conversation she realizes he's the Messiah. She dips. She's like excited. She leaves her water jar behind. She's running as fast as she can to the town to tell everyone about this guy who told her everything she had ever done. When, when, when you read that, it's like, that it doesn't seem like a big deal. But what you need to realize is it's a very big deal that God would know everything you'd ever did and still offer you a gift. Yeah. And that's the beauty of salvation. That God knew our sin, that God knew our mess, he knew our faults, and would choose to pursue us and love us anyways. So then the disciples show up in verse 30, and this is what it says. So they came out of the town and made their way. Hey, Rick, give me, give me a second. Appreciate it. Verse 30, they came out of the town on their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And so then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> the disciples just don't get it. Right? So if you've ever felt like you just don't understand what God's talking about, that's okay. The disciples didn't either. Right. Jesus is having a conversation with them, and, 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 and the disciples show up, and they're like, hey, we, you, you need to eat something. Jesus, you need lunch. We brought you some Pizza Hut, and we're ready. And Jesus says, I don't need your food. I'm good. And when Jesus makes that kind of statement, they're, they're, they're thinking to themselves, does he have something we don't have? Because the most attractive thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is display something that other people don't have. So that's, you, You've seen people with purpose. You've seen people with passion, and you think to yourself, I want that. That's where the disciples are at. So Jesus continues talking. Jesus says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He says that my food, verse 34, is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. Rick, you're good. So the very thing that Jesus is telling these disciples is, you wonder why I'm fulfilled in life. I'll give you the reason. It's because I do the will of the Father. And I finish the work. 
So until every single person meets Jesus, our work isn't finished, which means there's more. There's more for you. There's more for me. There's more for all of us. If you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to jump to this point and then I'm going to jump back into that verse. Fulfillment comes from partnering with God and helping people meet Jesus. Fulfillment comes from partnering with God and helping people meet Jesus. So for some of you, you've been trying to wonder, like, how do I make a difference? You partner with God in helping people meet Jesus. And in the process, you find fulfillment. Like God begins to move in your life and, and God begins to fill you up in ways that you never thought were possible. Because until you begin to help other people meet Jesus, number one, you're not a disciple. You're not really a follower of Jesus. And, and two, you're never gonna find fulfillment in things that don't make an eternal impact. You may find temporary satisfaction, but it's not fulfillment. And God desires you and I to be fulfilled through partnering with him in helping people meet Jesus. So that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. He's saying, yeah, you're, you're wondering why, why, why I'm fulfilled, why, why I don't need food. It's because I've been doing the will of the Father. While you guys were out shopping, I was in the middle of a conversation with a woman who was broken and helpless, and I didn't just skip past her need. I met her right where she was at, and I helped her, and I helped her see that through me, she could have eternal life. He says, that's where nourishment comes from. Let's go back to verse 35. It, he goes on and he says, don't you know the saying, it's four months until harvest, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. When Jesus is telling them this, what's happening is the woman has gone back and she's banged on the door of everybody's house and she said, hey, you'll never believe that there was this guy, his name is Jesus. He's the savior we've been looking for. He's the one we've been waiting for. And he knew everything I ever did, yet he still offered me this gift. He loved me despite my faults and my flaws and my failures. And when you preach that message, which is that there's no sin issue, there's no addiction, there's no fault, fault flaw, or failure, that's bigger than our God, people are attracted to that. Sometimes people get all caught up and like, oh, oh, the church is getting big. Must mean they're teaching heresy. No, Jesus preached to crowds so large because everyone wanted to hear about a God who loved them despite their mistakes. So she gathers everybody. She'd been saved for three minutes and now has a bigger church than most people. So she's walking She's bringing these people to meet Jesus. And Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, look, the saying goes that it's four months till harvest, which means you should be waiting for four months to harvest. But what I'm telling you is, if you would open your eyes and look around, then I believe that these people are topping the hill. That there's this woman who's leading the charge in front with hundreds of people behind her, ready to help them meet Jesus. And as they're topping the hill, as they're walking to Jesus, he says, wake up. He says, yeah, it says four months to harvest, but I tell you to open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. You, do you see all those people? He keeps going and he wants to make sure they... They understand what he's talking about. He says, they're ripe for harvest. They are ripe for harvest. It's not the fields, they're people. Here's how we know. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop. For what purpose? Eternal life. You ain't saving no fields for eternal life. 
so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. The goal is that people meet Jesus. Verse 42 of John chapter 4 is my, my favorite. In that story, I'll go there. Because it says, it's after these people have encountered Jesus. And they're talking about the woman. And it's a dialogue between the woman and Jesus. And they say to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what we've heard, but because we've experienced him ourselves. That's the goal of what you and I do. That's the purpose. That fulfillment will come in your life and my life from partnering with God in helping people meet Jesus. The vision of Propel Church, it, it, we didn't come up with the name because we went to Google and we're looking for like a really edgy church name or I wasn't like drinking one of those Propel waters and was like, that's a great name for a church. It came out of an exercise I was doing. I'd been saved for about two years. I was reading a book called The Catalyst Leader by Brad Lominick. And uh, it's one of my favorites. It got to the section on vision. Actually, I think it's the first chapter. And I'm going through some of the exercises and it was talking about having a vision for your life that surpasses what you do, but really taps into long-term stuff. And out of that exercise, what I felt like God had spoken to me was that for the rest of my life, I would propel people towards Jesus. That was it. Like, like for the rest of my life, I would propel people towards him. At that time, I was serving as a youth pastor and then I was working as a graphic designer as well. Even so in that moment, as a youth pastor, I was propelling people towards Jesus. As a graphic designer, I was propelling people towards Jesus. Now, I'm the lead pastor of this church, and I propel people towards Jesus. I still work on the side as a graphic designer, and I propel people towards Jesus. I do small business coaching, and I propel people towards Jesus. I'm not saying you need a vision like statement like that for your life. What I'm saying is what you do pointing people to Jesus is you're able to do it in whatever occupation God has you in whatever platform or area of influence, I, I, my identity is not in being a pastor. I could walk away from this thing tomorrow and I'm not losing anything because I'm a son of the king. Right, that's right. I, I love you, but I'm a son way before I'm a pastor. My identity is built on the fact that God loved me and he gave his life for me. And for the rest of my life, in whatever I do, I get to propel people towards him. And that's where you and I find joy. That's where you and I find fulfillment. And I believe that's what God wants for your life, is to just point people to him in everything. And for some of you, you're like, man, that that's, sounds a little complicated. I don't know if I'm ready to, to do that in my workplace. And, and that's why I think one of the best things you can do is just take the next step to get involved in serving in the local church. And so on the back of your Connect card every week, there's the option for you to look at the teams that are available and get involved. That's where you really begin to make a difference. I'm, I'm not a morning person. All right, how many morning people do we have in the room? We pray for you, right? Because you're the person that sends us a text message at 6.30, all pumped. Bless them, Lord. Um, I'm not a morning person. But every Sunday morning at 6 a.m., I'm eager to wake up and leave my house because I have fulfillment and know that what I'm doing is making a difference. And I think that's what God wants for your life too. So get involved in a team, begin serving. And I believe that's taking steps in the right direction towards fulfilling your purpose. Some of you don't have fulfillment because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And the truth is the only way to have fulfillment in life is to start with knowing God. 
So with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, I want to talk to all of us in the room. For some of you, you don't have a relationship with God or you've walked away from him. I believe that what God wants to do is show you that he is right here waiting, that he's ready, he's available, and by simply placing your hope and trust in him, you can be saved. God already paid the price to die in your place. Today's just simply an opportunity for you to respond to what he's already done. And so if you're in here and you say, hey, pastor, I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to begin one today. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? I see that. I see those. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Will you stand here for your help me celebrate with those who made decisions this morning?